Before this episode begins, some trigger warnings. This episode may include mentions or discussions of blood, child abuse, child death, murder, drugs, gore, gun violence, hospitalization, poisoning, police brutality, snakes, starvation, and war. Hello, everybody. Well, (laughs) it's been over a year now, but I'm back. That's right, everybody. I'm your host, Kristen Rhoda, and this podcast is back with a new format and a new name, the KAR Book Club. I... I think that has a pretty nice ring to it, but welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Before we get started, here's a little bit about how the show works. So last summer, I chose books, movies, and TV shows that I loved and wanted to review for you guys. This summer and from now on, I want you guys to be more involved. That's why the show is called KAR Book Club. Every month, we'll be talking about a book that somebody will help me pick. So you'll get 12 book club episodes per year, along with some bonus episodes as well. So stay tuned for those. And for more information and updates, go ahead and follow me on Instagram at k.a.r.blog. Again, that's k.a.r.blog on Instagram. Also, feel free to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Books and Coffee with Kristen, where I posted some reading vlogs and will be making some new content pretty soon. So without further ado, get some water, some coffee, tea, snacks, a blanket, whatever you need. So sit back, relax, open your mind, and of course, enjoy the show. In the first episode of the second season, we'll be discussing our June pick, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Special thanks to my friend Kayla Burns for giving me the choices and leading us to this book. Here are the four other books that Kayla recommended in case you're looking for new books to read. Foxhole Court by Nora Sakovic, Atlas Six by Livia Blake, This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone, and The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater. Now, before I get into the content, let's talk about the crazy talented author, Suzanne Collins. If you didn't know yet, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is a Hunger Games prequel. Collins is the author of the prequel and the very famous and incredible trilogy consisting of The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and Mockingjay, in which we follow Katniss Everdeen's journey to survive in a brutal totalitarian society. Collins started out writing for Kids TV, and she is credited for writing on Clarissa Explains It All, Little Bear, Oswald, and other Nickelodeon and Noggin cartoons, during the 90s and 2000s. Also, let me just say, Oswald was my show when I was six. So thank you for your service, Miss Collins. Uh, she also wrote the Underland Chronicle series, which consists of five books and became a New York bestseller. But of course, even more popular than that is the Hunger Games trilogy. All three books became very popular movies and Mocking Jane's film adaptation was split into two parts. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was published three years ago, and I believe there is a movie coming out later this year. Collins has sold over 100 million copies all across the globe, so she's really that girl in the book community, like, really. So, like I said, we're reviewing the prequel in this episode, and I gotta say, there's a lot, a lot to unpack. First of all, it's The Hunger Games, so you know a lot of people are going to be injured badly, A lot of people are going to die, and if there's one thing Suzanne Collins is going to do, she's going to kill off all the characters you love the most. So, 
Was I emotionally distressed while reading this? Yes. Yes, I was. So let's go ahead and explain the premise a little bit. So in this book, the main character is young Coriolanus Snow. His story begins when he was 18 and long before he became the monster that we knew in the Hunger Games trilogy. It starts 64 years before Katniss' story begins. Yes, he was very old. <laughs> the story begins during the aftermath of the war between the districts and the capital. Rebel bombings are still happening at this point, so the capital is using its academy students to help come up with new punishments for the districts. Of course, there's the games, but it's only the 10th year, and it's much different from the event we saw in the trilogy. There are a lot of differences. For example, there's a zoo that the tributes were kept in. That's, that's so messed up. And they weren't even being fed regularly. That's so, so messed up. And the media aspect of the games had just started that year. And some of the academy students were chosen to be mentors, including Snow, and also a district-raised student named Sejanus, whose father was able to buy his way into the capital, and whom Snow doesn't care too much for, but we'll get to that later. So Snow is in a family of very high status, but since his parents died, he has been living with his grandmother and his cousin Tigris, and they are financially struggling. His motivation is to restore his family's status, and his mantra is Snow lands on top, which makes sense given the events of the trilogy and his role in them. But he has chosen to mentor the District 12 female tribute, Lucy Gray Baird, a fact that originally discourages him because of the negative reputation of the district. But he meets Lucy, witnesses her pull a stunt with a snake at the ceremony, hears her sing, sees her capture at the capital's attention, and he decides to capitalize on her potential. He starts sneaking food from the academy into the zoo to feed Lucy Gray, and they start to bond. Snow actually also eventually starts to develop feelings for her. Meanwhile, things are getting worse as a tribute kills her mentor and is killed by a peacekeeper. Another rebel attack occurs, which actually injures and kills more tributes and mentors, including Coriolanus, and he has to be hospitalized. The head game maker, Dr. Gall further pushes consequences for the attacks, and those consequences actually threaten Lucy Gray's chances, so Coriolanus has to decide how far he'll go to help Lucy Gray survive and restore his family status. Now, I'm not going to go into the plot much further right now because I don't want this to become a complete book summary and too much of a book report, but I'll talk about it a little more in the next section. So those of you who listened to season one last summer, if you remember episode seven, I invited my friend Reagan on and we ranked the characters of Weathering Heights from most horrible to most justified. Now, okay, let's, let me clear up something. Most justified doesn't necessarily mean good because if ranking the characters of Weathering Heights proved anything, it's that even the characters that were most justified in their actions can also have bad qualities. And this book proves it too. So if a Character is at the top of my list, they're not even they are safe from criticism. Now, ranking characters of a story isn't easy to do, but it's a lot of fun, and it was a lot of fun to compare character rankings with Reagan. I don't have a guess for this episode, and I won't have guests for every single episode, but if it's appropriate, I'll do a ranking for every um every book I review on here. If there are not enough characters to put in a proper ranking, I'll just do comparisons. 
In this book, there are a lot of characters and I can't rank everybody for obvious reasons. There are 24 tributes, 24 mentors, a whole bunch of capital people, peacekeepers. It would be way too much for me to try to rank everybody and the episode would probably be like hours long and I don't want to do that. So for this book, I've made it a little easier by narrowing the list down to just six and these are just the major, major players. So what I'm going to do is talk about who they are, their role in the story and why they're in the position they're in. So let's get into the ranking and let me know after you listen to this if your ranking was different from mine, if you agree or disagree. So like I said, I'm going from most horrible to most justified. So let's start with the character I put dead last, which is none other than crazy, nutty Dr. Volumnia Gall. I am so serious when I say that this woman is freaking nuts. Like, she is on a Patrick Bateman from American Psycho level of crazy. FYI, the reason I said Patrick Bateman is because both of them did some crazy stuff with rats that I'm not going to talk about because that'll just make me vomit. If you want to know, refer to page 58 of the book and or read American Psycho. But speaking of that, she's the head game maker and I guess the original creator of what we call mutations in this universe. And basically, mutations are dangerous animals that are genetically modified to do even more damage to humans than they originally could. These mutts include poisonous snakes that can poison a human just enough to kill them with a bite, a singular bite. And a few tributes died this way when Dr. Gall dropped the snakes to the arena and they didn't recognize their sense. And a mentor named Clementia came pretty close to that fate. Page 58 says that Gall had unnerved Coriolanus since childhood. It's pretty easy to see why, because not only does she constantly do twisted stuff, but Dr. Gall is just, uh, she's just strange in general. Like, like she is one of those people that's already on 100 at seven in the morning without coffee. <laughs> that's the first sign of a complete psychopath. Okay, I'm totally kidding. But it makes sense in her case. And then there's the animal thing. And a lot of times she starts a conversation with riddles about animals. For example, after Coriolanus gets back to the academy from the zoo, she goes, hippity hoppity, how was the zoo? You fell in a cage and your trip, you did too. Like, seriously, when I read that, I thought, lady, you are not normal. Like, you are just not normal. But it's not just her strangeness with animals that put her in this position. Part of what makes her such an effective villain is this. She does nothing good, nothing at all. But it's clear that she believes that what she's doing is the right thing. Her morals are all backwards, like completely backwards. And I think that one thing that proves that the most is when she asks the students to write a whole essay, like literally a whole essay about their favorite thing about war. Like my, like I would have been like my favorite thing about war. Like who enjoys war? Like I was, I would have been so confused if I was in that classroom, but who enjoys war? I guess sick people like Dr. Gall. <laughs> So next on the list is Dean Casca Highbottom. Now the ranking was actually easier than I expected, but the hardest part was taking Dr. Gall and Dean Highbottom and then choosing the lesser of the two evils. But after going through the book again, I realized that not only do I hate Gall a whole lot more, but she's objectively a whole lot worse than Highbottom. See, Highbottom may be evil in the sense that he's okay with creating a whole event where they force 24 children to kill each other. But he's not as near—he's not nearly as twisted and sadistic as Doctor Gall. Um, I don't think he—I don't think he is like even close to her. He's—he's um, he's just really bitter, vindictive. He has a drug problem. He takes out all of his anger on Coriolanus until Coriolanus gets 
fed up and he puts rat poison in his drugs. So he died how he lived and he helped create the monster that is the President Snow we know from the Hunger Games trilogy. So I really don't have that much to say about High Bottom. He's just, he, I think he's just a bitter little man. Um, but speaking of Coriolanus, he's next on the list. So reading this book, um, it brought me to this thought. For new reasons, this man is going directly to H.E. Double Hockey Sticks and he will not be passing go or collecting $200. He is one of the newest characters to prove that not all protagonists are heroes. Like, Sejanus deserved a better friend and Lucy Gray deserved a better lover, for sure. Okay, here's the crazy thing about all the kindnesses. The word kindness isn't in air quotes, but here's the crazy thing about all the things he did for Sejanus and Lucy. He absolutely still would have cheated to help Lucy win, even if he didn't love her. And he would have gotten Sejanus out of the arena if and care for his mother, even if he didn't care for him. I think Snow cared about Sejanus just a little more after the middle of the book, but still not that much. And that's the thing about him before his presidency. Love was not enough to make him actually be a good person, friend, or lover. Because as soon as his love for Lucy and his friendship seemed to threaten his status, he chose himself every time. As he loved to say, Snow lands on top. Because of that, he had so many chances to do the right thing, but he didn't. Not for the right reasons anyway. And at the end, of th when I finished reading the book, I was kicking myself because I honestly should have known that. We all should have known that. Even the jacket copy warned me. The jacket copy literally said, Every choice Coriolanus makes could lead to favor or failure, triumph or ruin. Inside the arena, it will be a fight to the death. Outside the arena, Coriolanus starts to feel for his doomed tribute and must weigh his need to follow the rules against his desire to survive no matter what it takes. So I should have known that Snow would choose favor and triumph, but I decided to give him the benefit of the doubt, thinking, well, he might have been good before, but no. Why did I ever think I could sympathize with Snow? You just, you just can't. Like, reading the trilogy, I, sh I should have known that, but... Yeah, I just I decided to see the good in him, but faded out pretty quickly. So next on the list is Snow's cousin, Tigress. Remember her? Well, I didn't remember her role in the Hunger Games trilogy <laughs> or the fact that she was Snow's cousin until I started writing his script. So, so if you remember in the trilogy, Tigress eventually comes to hate Snow. She even smiles when she learns about Katniss's plan to kill him. So over time, Tigris started to greatly resent the games, and it seems that Tigris um, started to resent the man that Coriolanus became. So you can tell Tigris has a good heart, but she's not at the top of my list. Here's why. Not only are the last two major, major players in the story technically more justified in their actions than she is, but clearly her resentment was not enough to stop Snow. I think she could have and should have done more to convince him to do the right thing. I just think after a few years of the games, you think she wouldn't have enabled him as much to participate as a mentor. But that's that's just my opinion about her. I can tell she has a good heart, but she's not at the top of my list. Next is Sejanus Plinth. Now, I thought that he would have become more of a villain because of what Snow really thought of him at first, but no. Sejanus is truly well-intentioned and pure-hearted. He cares about everyone he encounters deeply, and he risks and eventually loses his life trying to stop the games. My only issue with Sejanus is that he made some unwise, questionable choices. Like, we know his heart, sure, but why on earth would you go into the arena while the games are going on and at night? Like, that would... Like, I read that, like, I could tell his heart was pure, like, he wanted to bury um, his tribute, because that that was brutal. That was completely brutal, and I'm not going to talk about it in depth. 
But it's like, why would you go in there? Like I, like I was kind of like, like suchness. I love you. You deserve so much better, but why would you do that? Um, but yeah, I love him. He deserves so, 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 so much better. And I will keep saying that rest in peace, suchness, rest in peace. And at the top is Lucy Gray Baird. I wanted to put Sedgness there, but Snake Stun aside, um, the mayor's daughter deserved that anyway. But Snake Stun aside, Lucy literally didn't do anything wrong to anybody. She was kind to everyone, her family, her town, the other tributes, especially when Jessup died. I'm not going to talk about that either because that wrecked me. That really wrecked me. But she was kind to him um, even to his death. And she truly, truly loved Snow. Like, we don't know if Lucy died at the end of the book or if she escaped into the full life. I don't know if Snow actually killed her. Like, we know his intentions, though. But we don't know if she lived a full life. Um, We don't know if she escaped. But we never heard from her again. Like, nobody in Panem ever heard from this girl again. We can only assume that she's dead anyway. Um, Like, uh, she might have died, like, like, before the end of The Hunger Games when Snow died. We don't know that, but... um, Rest in peace, I guess. And that, my dear listeners, is my character ranking. Like I said, please feel free to let me know if your ranking is different from mine. If you agree or if you disagree, just let me know. Um, We can compare them. It'll be fun. So before I close out, I want to do a segment every episode where I tell you guys if I like the book or not. Before I just kind of reviewed the books in the media I liked and only the ones I liked, but the truth is we're all going to come across books that don't really do it for us. (laughs) So here we go. Um, Did I like the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? Drum roll, please. And the answer is a resounding yes. I really enjoyed this book. I really don't think there is a single thing I didn't like about the writing, the plot, the way the characters were constructed. The book is absolutely solid to me. And I honestly had no doubts. Suzanne Collins does not disappoint ever for me. So, well, that is all I have for this episode. But thank you guys so, so much for listening. This is so exciting for me. Again, special thanks to you, Kayla, everyone who voted, everyone who's been engaging with my Instagram and my content. Did you know that even with a year's hiatus, this podcast has now been listened to in 18 states and 12 countries outside of the U.S.? That is that is so insane. It's insane. And honestly, it's so encouraging. Definitely going to keep going. So again, thank you guys so much. Please share this podcast with your friends and your family. And if you're just now hearing this, follow me at k.a.r.blog on Instagram. Again, that's at k.a.r.blog on instagram stay tuned for bonus episodes and for the announcement of the july pick so thank you so much again for listening and i will see you next time